Well, hello, everyone out there in Lasso land. This is Peanut Butter and Biscuits, your Ted Lasso fan cast from NPR, Illinois. I'm your host today, Craig. I'm joined by my illustrious co-host, Biscuits with the Boss. It is Jeremy Geckner, the editor-in-chief of the Front Row Network. How are you, sir? What it is, Craig. I'm happy to be talking about my favorite character in the whole show, Mr. Trent Krim of The Independent. I can't back that uh, he up. He was. He's, he's a great character. The Independent. <laughs> I, uh, spoiler alert right away, right? I know, right? By the way, I loved your spoiler <laughs> alert sound effect. And then I also <laughs> liked that you, you've started to produce this show a yeah, bit more yeah. when you edit it. I like it. <laughs> so do, I is, like this, the direction is this where taking. the spoiler alert goes right off the top now? I guess because <laughs> I, I guess I just spoiled something from season two that there he's no go. longer with the Independent, <laughs> but he's uh, independent. So... And then today, uh, folks, we are joined mm. by someone who mm-hmm. has such a uh, a breadth of film history in his brain. A cornucopia. He knows, he knows more about film than I will ever know in my lifetime. He is from Classics, Mr. Brandon Davis. How are you, Ooh. sir? I'm doing fine, and I hope your listeners aren't disappointed that I don't sound like I host Masterpiece Theater like you all did this last episode. <laughs> speaks like this sometimes. Speaking no, uh, that was a good Brandon James Mason is thing the that, host that Brandon of, can do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Brandon is the host of our Front Row Classics. He's been doing it for just as long as the network has been around. And Brandon, can you uh, quickly tell us about your show for anybody that might want to check out or enjoy old um hollywood yeah yeah i mean well first of all i love classic film i've always loved classic film it's a great passion of mine and when uh jeremy started this network he uh told me i had to be a part of it because i had to bring the uh, classic film element to the network and so mm-hmm. um started it off and uh, it just started with me and jeremy talking about singing in the rain one night and that was our first episode and then a couple years went by and i finally got a permanent co-host and a gentleman named eric flick and uh so for the past two and a half years eric and i have sat and uh every uh, couple times a month discuss a great classic film and um, that that's the heart of our show because I really um, I really want to keep these movies alive I want to keep uh, the discussion of them alive I want people keep loving them and discovering them so that's the uh, that's the heart of our show but over the last year and a half we've also landed some great interviews and um, I've been able to talk to some really really fabulous people and uh, that's been a wonderful supplement to our show so uh, we're about 93 episodes in I think from when this will uh, drop and uh, uh, getting close to triple digits and uh, just some great great stuff so uh, so yeah I hope anyone who uh, enjoys classic film or or uh, wants to get into classic film will listen to our show. That is a fabulous undersell, my man. A fabulous (laughs) undersell of how amazing Front Row Classics is. Everybody should be listening to this show. Clearly, if you're at episode 93, that means Jeremy and I need to wait seven more episodes to come on for your 100th episode, right? What? what? You have have spoken to Lucy Arnaz. (laughs) You have spoken to... Uh, so many amazing people that are connected to old Hollywood. Patricia like Ward Stevens Kelly, Jr. man. George Stevens Jr. Patr- uh- <laughs> Patricia Ward Kelly, George Stevens Jr., um, Eddie Muller, who hosts Noir Alley on Turner oh, Classic Movies. Yeah, so good. Uh, Natasha Gregson Wagner, the daughter of Natalie Wood. Yeah, I mean, I've talked come to on, some people. really, really the daughter interesting of Natalie people. Wood. Yeah. 
the daughter Todd, of Natalie Wood. We're Todd going into Fisher. the season. We're all yeah, thinking Todd about Fisher, Natalie Wood Carrie and Fisher's, Miracle uh, on 34th Street. Carrie Fisher's brother. Yep, Todd yeah. Fisher. So, yeah. Well, anyway, go check out Front Row Classics. You can find it on any podcast app. Uh, go and check out Front Row Classics. We do have a little bit of housekeeping before we get into the episode proper here. As I mentioned last week, we are uh, recording this right after we recorded uh, some of our interview with Cola. So what we're doing is we're catching up on some of the housekeeping that we would have had from uh, the previous episode, season one, episode two. And so we left you hanging last week with first concert, best concert from a lot of our listeners. We had such a huge reaction Tons to this. Tons of Thank reactions, you so man. much. Tons of Thank reactions. Thank you so much for uh, emailing us, for shooting us a message on Twitter, whatever it is that you want to reach out to us, please do. We love that. Of course, you can email us at Front Row Lasso. Please also consider leaving us a review on Apple as well. That really helps us out. But first concert, best concert. First thing up, Rosemary. This is a crazy one, mm. okay? Her first concert was Peter Gabriel. Oh, yes. No slouch. Mm. Her best concert, Elton John, right? Um, so, sounds about yeah. right. That's pretty good. Amazing. That's pretty good. Amazing. It's no Weird Al Yankovic, but, you know, it's up there. <laughs> uh, Bonnie had Def Leppard as her first concert mm. and Depeche Mode as her best concert. Also not she bad. also wanted to throw in that she's seen Lady Gaga uh, as well and that that was a heck of a concert as well. We have also lots of others that have chimed in as well. Lacey said... First concert was Sugar Ray and the Goo Goo Dolls. Oh, my God. Lacey, I know exactly how old you are. Yep. <laughs> and the best concert was Pentatonix. Okay. We also had uh, Michael, who I know is a over-the-road trucker. So if you're listening to this on your in your truck, Michael, your first concert was Billy Joel, and then your best concert was the Foo Fighters. My Foo God. Fighters came up several times as best concerts. It's because so, as, speaking as one of those, like, yeah, because they always put on a ridiculously good show. And then we had uh, Rick said, Boys to Men, Motown Philly, back Ooh. again. And then he said, best concert. He's a man after your own heart. He said, Weird Al, mm -hmm. not only once or twice. He said, Weird Al, eight times. Oh, man. Wow. I cannot so, stress to you people enough how good Weird Al concerts are. They are a blast. Let's see. Uh, a couple more here. Courtney said the Beach Boys in 1987 was her first concert. Wow. And that the Avid Brothers was her best concert. Mm. And Avid Brothers also came up not uh not uh, they came up several times as we were going through this and i will say kind of the the spiritual brother maybe to uh our mumford uh yeah. acknowledgement here in peanut butter and biscuits for ted lasso as well claire said first concert moody blues best concerts u2 nine inch nails and depeche mode she cheated oh, by the way that's, that's cheating three. claire come on claire yeah absolutely Tim said Huey Lewis in the news was his first concert and that Slayer was his best concert. Oh my God, Slayer. <laughs> our, own, our own Vanessa Ferguson, who co-hosts with me on Beyond the Mouse, said first concert was Christina Aguilera. She let that genie out sure, of that bottle. Genie and in bottle her best tour, concert sure. was the Avid Brothers. Um, just a couple more here. Jim said Journey and the Babies was his first concert. I don't know who the babies are. Yeah, no, that doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> it, it might be like shredded wheat. Uh, there, people are going <laughs> to let us know who the babies are, I'm sure. Yeah. And then the best concert, he said, was a tie between Paul McCartney, and then he is a huge ELO fan. So mm. he's seen ELO 
three times. I would love um, that. And then how many more of these we want to do? We had Jay Hoffman from uh, Front Row Flashbacks, another co-host you might hear from in the future. He first concert was Weird Al. Best concert was Garth Brooks and the Foo Fighters. Although I can't imagine that was the same concert. That'd be a hell of a concert. (laughs) (laughs) Who's the audience for that? (laughs) And then we'll do one more. It was uh, Morgan. And she said Wayne Newton was her first concert and real snoozer. Her parents dragged her, dragged her to it. (laughs) And then best concert was Billy Joel, the piano man himself. So thank you so much. I know we had more submissions than that. Well, Uh, well, wait, Craig, we we, we, we still do have one more. We have one more. We have to get to Mr. Brandon Davis here. You haven't. Oh yeah. We got to do Brandon. I knew you were going to ask me that question. Uh, Yep. 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 (laughs) Okay. Well, my first concert, I don't remember the year. I was not in the double digits yet, but my parents took me to, it was Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, and C.C. Winans. Oh, my it was God. A, it was a Christmas concert at the Peoria Civic Center. It would have to be. The contemporary <laughs> Christian triad, people. It was a Christmas concert in June, actually. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. weird. But but now, the, the, the best concert I've been to... I don't know. I a couple years ago, I saw James Taylor and Bonnie Raitt together That's, in concert, I mean, and that was really, really good. Speaking of really Christmas good. albums, that James Taylor Christmas album—it's oh, fantastic. You want to just calm yourself and feel good about life? James Taylor. Also, I do have one other recommendation because I've been playing it on loop. I don't know about you guys. I know it is technically, so this episode drops Thanksgiving week. So technically we're after Thanksgiving now. now. We can talk about Christmas music. Uh, Jamie Cullen. Okay. A Piano Man at Christmas. Check it out. Uh, Check out that album. It is fantastic. It's all original Christmas music. You won't hear a single song that you know, but you are going to fall in love with that. I have been listening to it all of November. Haters be damned. (laughs) I have been listening to it all of November and I've absolutely loved it. And I will tell you this, like to defend Brandon's first concert here, man, like it, for Christmas music, there are few who do it better than Michael W. Smith. And that, that man it's can, true. like, the way he orchestrates music is ridiculous. It is uh-huh. from on high. So yes. I recommend Michael W. Smith's uh, Christmas yes. albums. All right. Well, I think that's the end of our housekeeping. Let's dive right in. We should say, though, you probably are listening to this. If you're in the United States, you might have eaten a lot of turkey and all of that. We're going to talk Trent Krim, and we're going to talk spicy food at the end of this. So <laughs> thank you for listening. We're very grateful and thankful for you. But let's right into episode three, Trent Krim, the Independent. I get to walk you through this one. We open up the episode, Rebecca waking up to a new day, excited because she wants to see the tabloids that have Ted and Keeley's picture all over them. And then she's super mad because she does not get to see what she wants to see in those tabloids. Um, the pictures do not appear at all. And then I think it was really funny. She calls Higgins, but how does she call him? She says, call shithead. Yeah. And it comes up on the phone. Let's talk about this. Brandon, first reactions right into the episode with Rebecca here. Any thoughts? I love that we open the episode with Rebecca because it's just showing us that she is not a villain. I mean, we're seeing her point of view here and we're opening it up with her. And it's funny. She's one of those, 
she's one of those you know she, I, she she's she's the antagonist of this season for part of it but uh, to, to you identify with her and it's almost like you're rooting for her even though you don't want her to succeed just because she's such an identifiable likable character um uh, but but no it's it's a great opening and i love the flash forward to Higgins at home and you get to see his family life here at the beginning and you see all his kids and stuff. And normally a character like Higgins, I feel like in this sort of uh, type of show would be a loser who lives on his own, but he's married and he has kids and he's a successful family man. And that's, what's fun to see. And I love Jeremy Swift. I'm, I'm doing a rewatch of Downton Abbey for the next uh, movie coming out in March and to watch him in this and that it's two totally different characterizations. And I love it. So normally when Brandon's on his show, he does sound like, hmm, I like this a lot. Yeah. I, I don't know he's, he's where it's going ditching the British accent here. for some reason No, no actually, yeah. you know what? I um, I watched Downton Abbey, the movie with Brandon, and it was a delight. That movie yes. was great. It was great. It was wonderful. So I'm excited yes. for the second movie as well. Uh, Jer, any thoughts as we open up this episode? No, I, I really do love what Brandon said about uh, Higgins, though, because like, the way he answers the phone, even though Rebecca does nothing but like crap on him all day, even when like the phone answers and he sees it's her, he's still got this like, oh, hello, like chipper, like voice like that. And, I just and love he's totally in the office, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, that's, I guess, later. Oh, yeah. in the episode. But yeah, I, I think you're right, though, Brandon. Like, that's the best part about Higgins is that he is a successful family man and he is happy. You know, he's a happy guy mm-hmm. or, like, and he's happiest with his family. And I love that we get to see that. And yeah, it, it's fun seeing Rebecca so chipper, like with her evil plan. <laughs> It just doesn't quite go according to plan. Uh-huh. Jeremy, I want to focus on the next scene with you because here it is. Here are the seeds that we're going to get to the end of the second season where we are because we do get the first time that Nate suggests a play to Ted. And we have a great line that happens. If any of you say it, I'm going to yell at you because that's a Tedism waiting to happen <laughs> later. But uh, we do get this wonderful line where uh ted is asking nate for his opinion and he truly wants that opinion so this is ted bringing him in even more we see it in the first episode where he says oh what was your name and then he waits to hear nate's name because nate says oh no one asked my name and he doesn't expect that ted is going to acknowledge that and so now he's like oh well i have a i have this play in mind and ted's like well let's hear it and he, it takes a while for Nate to grow the confidence to be able to do that. And of course, this is the laying the groundwork for where Nate's going to go throughout not only this season, but then becoming a coach and then going off on his own because he feels this betrayal. But here is where we get to see that relationship start to grow. So what are your thoughts on this, Jer? Yeah, this is, this is really right. The seeds of everything that, that's going to come here because Nate is so apprehensive about this and Ted Ted is not just taking the time to ask his opinion. He is acknowledging Nate's existence in a way that Nate maybe hasn't felt since childhood, maybe, um, and even maybe not that from his father. Um, You know, like all of a sudden, like when he says, oh, you know, or makes like this noise that he makes, all of a sudden he's not asking, like there's not like this jerk coach like George, uh, what the previous coach is. All of a sudden there's this person who says like, oh, you got something to say? Because I'd, I'd love to hear it. And how foreign must that feel to Nate in this moment, especially considering how the team still treats him, how most of the team still treats him as the kit man. And yeah, like I also just love how um, kind of like, 
they really have to like boost him into that strutting out of the office, which is fantastic. And he's it's still so, great, so right? weird about it too, but it's just like, they're again, all kind of weird about it. Let's be real. Yeah. I mean, like well, they're and strutting and then they have to turn around and yeah. they have to go back the other way. <laughs> I forgot the pitch was this way. Um, but I, I also do, cause I don't think it's going to be a Tedism, but like when he's talking to Trent about Nate and he literally says like, no, that kid might be a genius. And it's like, you know, Ted always just tries to look for it. He tries to look for what they're doing. So I think that's so important in the scene. But you're right. Like, this is the start of it right here. It's that positive affirmation, right? And, Mm -hmm. like, so it's funny because Ted Lasso has done this to me. So I meet with students all the time. I think you all know I'm a college advisor. And I've been meeting with students for the last month or so, getting ready for the spring semester. And nearly every student, I find something about them to – make sure that they understand that they're doing a good job in school or a good job in college. Because I feel like we as a society, we, we focus so much on the negative Mm. and we can never focus on and just take a moment to acknowledge what we have done. Well, Yeah, you know what? Mm -hmm. I mean, like we do so many things well throughout the day and we never take time to acknowledge that because no one else acknowledges that for us. And that's what Ted Lasso does. And I think that's why Ted Lasso Uh, grabs you in so quickly as an audience and that's why you want to watch more that's why we want to consume more that's why we're going out and like buying up all the ted lasso merchandise because it makes us feel good that we can acknowledge something within ourselves that is going well i think that that's a, a really key point for sure so brandon you've seen all of season one you've seen all of season two you know where this is heading what are your thoughts about this kind of first interaction where Nate gets to add his advice to the team dynamic? Well, I think this is the uh, this is the purest moment that we get because it's um, you know it, it's him for the first time getting to use his own voice, and I think Ted handles it amazingly because he uses humor, and humor is mm-hmm. the most disarming thing that you can possibly use. And you know, the I have a hard time hearing people who don't believe in themselves. That was one of my favorite hey, moments. Hey. Oh, is that hey. oh? Hey, I'm sorry. Hey, what did I just say a couple of minutes ago there, Davis? Everyone forget uh, that you heard that. This will okay. be this will be Brandon's last episode. Of oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm sorry. kidding. I'm kidding. You keep going. You keep okay, going. I'm sorry. I'm allowed, come up I'm, later. I'm allowed one. Maybe. There you okay. go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Those are bold. Okay. No, no, no. Jeremy's okay, been allowed I'll be, like 12, I'll be, so it's I'll fine. Be, I'll yeah. be careful when we do this not to quote anymore until the end. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> but... <laughs> but no, he uses he uses humor and to see Nate and of course and, and and we get into it later on though. But you can tell that this is brand new territory mm-hmm. and you know and there's this almost like release like finally I've been heard because you know most most of what all of us want in life is just an acknowledgement that people are seeing us and hearing us and that what we say and what we contribute matters to somebody mm. and so Nate is finally for the first time hearing that finally something that I have contributed actually matters in the long run to somebody. And so I think this is the, you know, like you said, this episode in a lot of different ways is planting seeds for things that come down the road. I've noticed. And we'll, we'll talk about that. I promise I won't quote anything, but uh... you better not. (laughs) (laughs) The writers are so good at getting these things early in the season. We, we discussed that in season uh, one, episode two, because so many of the, 
basically the things that we come back to as fans and talk about mm-hmm. start the biscuits start in there. And so many of the, the dialogue changes and things like that, that we come back to all the time start in season one, episode two. And here we are getting some more of that here. Now, after this, Keely shows the almost sun cover to Ted in the locker room and says that Jamie is going to be livid had he had seen this. And so that's Rebecca's plan, right? I mean, we know that Rebecca's whole thing was that Jamie would freak out and the tabloids would freak out if they saw these pictures. And that's why she planted that photographer there. So then Ted and um, Keely decide to take that up to Rebecca and they talk about it. And they basically say like, this is going to happen. We, we don't know what's going to happen. We, we, we don't want this out there. This isn't right. It's taken out of context. And Rebecca says she gets to be the hero in this instance and say, you know what? I can get it taken care of. I know the owner of the sun, which happens to be another great quote from Ted. Uh, I'm going to not say it because my name's not Brandon ah, and I'm going to continue that, to move and on. That one was on my list. So okay. No. I, I will not say it, but uh, it is a great quote. There. I think ancient um, law uh, says that balance needs to be restored. So you should take his quote, right? I mean, yeah, you're right. You're right. But anyway, so uh, that's kind of the scene that we get in her office. There's not, uh, I think a, too much to add here other than you get to see Rebecca kind of move, from where she's sort of the villain again, trying to put the uh, photographer and getting into the tabloids. And then she is able to kind of move forward and be able to understand that this isn't, this plan is not going to work out. So she pivots to become kind of the hero for Keely and Ted. Anything that you want to add there, Jer, or can we continue to move on? Not much. I mean, I, I just wonder, maybe you both can ask or, or answer, but like, do you think she comes up with this Trent Krim plan here or she's just playing the, this is what I'm expected to say in this situation. I can help you guys out. And then, you know, later on in the night, because we know the next morning she comes in with this plan for the Trent Krim interview, you know, like, do you think her wheels are spinning right there in the moment in the office? Or do you think this is just, okay, I know what I have to say now to get them off my back and to kind of re- you know, reconfigure everything. Cause this is where she learns that Keely is the one who stopped the photo from running. I think from a, but she I also, think if you're, if, yeah, she also does ask Higgins if it can be traced back to her. So maybe she immediately knows she needs a new plan. We are nerds, right? So constantly we are arguing or talking about who is the smartest person in the Marvel universe. Yes. Um, and so if we were saying who is the smartest person in the, Ted Lasso universe. Obviously, a lot of people would say Coach Beard. It is right. Coach Beard. He, he's tactical. <laughs> he knows what's going on. But I would almost say that Rebecca, from a um, business sense, but also from just a human sense, might be the most aware person that we have on this show, or might be the smartest and uh, the most interactive person. So I would say that her wheels are already, in my mind, Jeremy. She already has a plan B to her plan A. Mm, Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, and she's well, well, and she's this woman who is really found this leadership position in what most people would consider a male-dominated industry. So she has to be two steps ahead of everybody. Yep, exactly. So she's had to she's had to learn that along the way, and so and so yeah, she's already two moves ahead of everybody. Classics guy, Boom. come on, you oh, know the geez. line. Tell me, tell it to me. 
What about Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers? Mm-hmm. Oh, she does everything they do except backwards and then high heels. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Look at that. Look at how well I got that into this episode. It wasn't even trying to do it. Nice. Um, but now we go to the team on the pitch, and we get to see that Nate's play actually does work. Very well. So it's really well. Jamie's not really into it, but it really works very well. And we get some great uh, talk on the pitch as well. (laughs) This is before Ted Lasso decided they would become a show that wasn't about soccer and not even show us any soccer. But we do get to see uh, some of this on the pitch as well. I'm going to go right into where they're in the locker room. And Ted starts giving out these books. So he gives a book out to each player. And I did note some of the ones that were highlighted Mm. for us to see. So Sam gets Ender's Game. Jamie gets the beautiful and the dam by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then of course, Roy gets a wrinkle in time. So <laughs> take all of that together, the pitch, and then also going into the, uh, the locker room up to the point where Roy is going to start talking to his teammates about not picking on Nate, anything that you want to say in there, Brandon, that you thought was interesting. Well, uh, like I was talking about earlier, I was alluding to the, the moment with Nate when he realizes that, um, his suggestion has worked. He exhales, and uh, like you see, he almost uh, he almost can't catch his breath because it's like, man, something that I thought up actually worked. And so to see that realization come over, I think that's a great moment. And of course, um, a, a great Ted Lasso line, which we, I, you know, I can talk about later on in the episode. <laughs> I won't mention now, but uh, but no, I think I, I think that's a great moment. And you know, sort of the the joy and elation on his face. And I love you know when. Um, uh, you know, Ted tells everyone to run two laps and he and Beard just throw the clipboards on the ground and start running. That's a great moment. But but yeah, I, I love, you know, I, I love literature. So the moment in the locker room is great when they uh, pass out the books. I'm like, what a great idea. And, you know, to and the thought process it would take to think, OK, which which book goes with which team member? But of <laughs> course, as we figure out later on in the episode, he, he definitely picked right, especially where Roy's concerned. And right away, you know, like he's not with the team that long and we are led to believe that beard is the one that really knows the players right because Uh when we're doing the introductions in the pilot it's beard that's saying like okay this is isaac this is roy that you know and like kind of giving the the what for but ted's able to jump on this right away and be able to know based on their personalities and only a few interactions that these are the books that might make the most sense for them to read and to check out. And of course, Jamie throws his copy of the beautiful and the damned right into the trash. And that kind of checks out for that book and for that character, right, Jeremy? <laughs> yeah. I was Because, you know, if anybody hasn't read that, I mean, it really is a perfect choice for Jamie because it's all about, you know, really lavish and self-centered and selfish people <laughs> interacting with each other and how those mindsets ultimately lead to destruction. Um, and so it is a, a perfect thing for him. If only he would read it sooner, we might've gotten Jamie Tart's uh, <laughs> redemption uh, a little bit quicker, but also I love Ender's game though for Sam, because it's about a young, young kid. That's a phenom that's uh, out to save the world, so to speak, and has to learn to believe in himself, which is clearly what Sam's problem is. You know, he's got all the talent in the world, but he's just still kind of not living up to his potential um, aside from the rest of the team. So, and of course we all know what a wrinkle in time is about because Trent Krim so excellently uh, sums it up (laughs) later in the episode. Um, 
but yeah, this is this is great though, and I do love that you know Beard is the one that notices Jamie's uh, throwing it away. Um, but this is also, I think, where we get the first uh, interaction with Ted and Roy about Nate's treatment in the locker room, which is of course such a catalyst for the rest of this episode. You did such a great job to walk. That's me called to a my segue. Look at that. <laughs> you did such a great job. I do want to take this on just a minute uh, for a tangent. You are listening to this over Thanksgiving weekend. Perhaps you might be looking for a movie to watch. I will tell you, it is made by a controversial and a somewhat awful filmmaker in his own right. But Midnight in Paris is actually a great film that uh, shows Zelda Fitzgerald uh-huh. and F. Scott Fitzgerald right there in their prime. Owen Wilson's in it too. So check it out. It is a Woody Allen film. Yeah, We're not just, sure how you know. we feel about him necessarily yeah. as a person, but as a filmmaker, <laughs> he does some fairly good work. So uh, remove the art from the artist and you can check that out uh, this Thanksgiving weekend. But yes, you are right, Jeremy. We go right into Roy uh, telling Ted that... Nate is being abused by Jamie. And then Ted basically says, I'm not going to do anything about it. You do something about it. Well, I don't even know if he says you do something about it. It's no. been a minute since I watched it. No, he, he's, he, just he literally, go, right? he just oh, tells him, he tells him the real thing, which is one thing I know is that if a teacher tells the kids to stop picking on a kid, that kid's going to get picked on more. And so, mm. you know, like, but so he doesn't say it. That's the last thing he says to Roy, but he and Beard have that conversation where he's just like, yeah. oh, and that, he, that, he, he does has say to, be to Beard that if the first domino is going to fall, it needs to be Roy. If they're going to start listening to me and believing, believing in what I'm talking about, it's going to be Roy. it happens right away. (laughs) Yeah, so then you see uh, in kind of more of the training room, which we don't get any training room shots in season two, do we? I don't think that room. No, no, we do. That is where Sam is looking at his phone. Mm. Um, when, oh, when he gets the, the text, text yeah. and stuff like that. So we do get the like elliptical machines and the the cycling machines. We don't get like the weight in no. the room anyway. Uh, <laughs> so then in there, Roy confronts Jamie, and then as soon as Jamie uh, is alone and Roy has left, Jamie turns to Isaac and Colin and tells them to keep it up. That he thinks it's funny that mm-hmm. they're messing with Nate. So. Um, what would we have here? Uh, anything that you want to add there, Brandon? Uh, no, I think, I think that this, uh, scene really proves cause we- for the first two episodes, you know, we've seen Roy Kent as this, you know, curmudgeonly, uh, figure, you know, this hilarious curmudgeonly figure, but I think this episode shows that he's a curmudgeon with a heart of gold mm-hmm. and, uh, he really sticks up for the underdog. And I think that this really, really, uh, proves that in, in spades. And, um, I, you know, Brett Goldstein is wonderful. And I think Roy Kent is one of the great TV characters to come along <laughs> in the last decade. And I think that he, uh, this, this really shows us that. And also I think I, and just on a personal note, I think uh, Jamie referring to uh, Nate as a weak baby is an interesting, <laughs> is an interesting way to put Again, it. No, but you're hitting on what like my big part of this is like because a just when the way that Roy says to him and you laugh after Jamie laughs about it is like uh-huh. so dressing a guy down that it's just like so fantastic, and I think that's why 
Because, you know, Jamie in that situation, a guy like that, he'd normally just be like, yeah, 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 okay. But, like, this is what makes Phil Dunster's performance so good. When he says, like, yeah, okay, Nate's a good lad, I sort of, the first time I watched it, believe it, I was like, oh, he gets it. Like, Roy did good here. Um, and it even takes, like, you know, a little bit, like, 15 seconds or so for Jamie to finally think, like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. So, I mean, like, I just, there's always these little, very small right now, internal conflicts inside of Jamie. And I just think that it's just really good the way that Roy delivers these lines. And, of course, it's the first of many amazing uh, interactions between Roy and Jamie um, where it's yes. just so quotable. <laughs> so then we go right back into Rebecca's office. She's now made a deal with the owner of the sun that uh, they, and that is a great Tedism, by the I way, say, they I was about to say are it. going to now uh, <laughs> allow for Trent Krim to come to practice and to do a profile on Ted. So Trent Krim does come to practice and uh, then we get to see, Nate's play involved in that. And Trent just asks him uh, outright says you're, you're entrusting a premier league club to the plays of a kitman. And so he's starting to understand what it is about Ted and Ted's philosophy when it comes to the practice. Um, the guys are still messing with Nate when he gets back to the locker room. Roy at that point, loses it entirely um but then also is talking to keely outside uh, as they're leaving in an american impression which by the way <laughs> brett amazing job no with notes. your american no impression notes, there. <laughs> i won't say it all just in case we want to bring it up later um but then at that point uh then trent says oh so you're saying that the day that I am supposed to come and profile you, you happen to be going to a school of little children that I would go and check you out with. And then uh, Ted has a great line about consequences and uh, coincidences there. And then they do bring him to the school. So I gave you a lot uh, there about Trent coming and going, but I wanted to move us along. So Jeremy, any thoughts that you have in that section? Uh, no, I mean, I just love how unabashedly okay like Ted is with, with all of this. And I think that's what what uh, charms and wins over Trent ultimately is that like, you know, when he's talking about, oh, you're entrusting it to a kit man and like there's nothing strange about this to Ted, like because he doesn't care what your job title is. A good idea is a good idea. And, you know, it's a definitely a foreign concept to the, uh, you know, football reporters over there and such. But, you know, I think it's just that. And I just also love how he like freaks out over, you know, Beard saying he's a good kid, nodding and stuff like like, it's just this unabashed charm of Ted Lasso, and that's, you know, ultimately what does win uh, Trent Krim over. But this is also, you're right, our first uh, true interaction of Keely and Roy, uh, who are going to become one of the great TV couples of all time here. Um, <laughs> but again, I just love how, like, Keely is just not intimidated by Roy at all, and she knows exactly what to do with him. And you know what? Yeah, uh, Brett Goldstein, yeah, that's a pretty great impression that she does of you. So I just got to say. Yeah, it's just amazing how uh, great he is at that American impression. Brandon, any thoughts that you have leading into the next scene here? Well, yeah, what what I enjoy about Ted Lasso as a whole, though, is um, it, it takes a lot of sitcom tropes and sort of turns them on their head a little bit. And uh, and this is a this is a plot that you see a lot in like sitcoms, like like if it takes place in a restaurant, a restaurant critic is coming and mm -hmm. everyone's a, a nervous mess the whole episode. But 
he uh but ted plays it cool and calm and 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 there's no there's no um any kind of awkwardness at all with him i mean he's just ready to tackle trent you know head on and so i think that that's what's a great part of this and of course that's what disarms trent and you know we'll get into that later on in the episode but but yeah and, and i love the like i said this episode plants seeds and it plants seeds between roy and keely and i know that you two have mentioned this in the previous episodes that you don't know if keely was supposed to be a permanent part but this is episode three and they're planting seeds with the relationship with her and roy and with her and rebecca later on in this episode mm. so i think they had plans for her from the right the beginning yeah i i think you're probably right because these writers are so good at what they do and mapping things out and we do know from bill lawrence that they had a three season arc in their mind it's just mm-hmm. I, you know again i i wonder how big of a role that was going to play, but, or if they, you never know what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Mm -hmm. Like did the fact that they laid these little breadcrumbs for themselves manifest into the fact that Keely and Roy are going to be this power couple that now everyone is just fawning over and wanting to make sure they stay together, save Uh Keely and Roy, (laughs) regardless of anything else that happens in the show, Keely and Roy better be together. Um, Or is it that, they built up the character of Keeley because of the amazing work of Juno Temple. I mean, it just, I don't know, one way or another. Jeremy, thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, um, I, again, the way that, um, and I do love also, though, to speak more to, um, you know, Trent and them at the school. Again, what is it that Trent continues to come back to in his article? It's that this guy is impossible, isn't he? Like, it's impossible that this guy exists. He's literally out there. He goes to a school and a little kid calls him a wanker and he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's just kind of like, no, it's all right. You know, like, and it's just, it's part of that infectious spirit that he has. And it just, it just overflows to everyone. So even somebody who's clearly hostile towards who he is can't help but just be won over. He's he's a walking Frank Capra character. He really, he really is, is. though. <laughs> Before really we is. get to the school, though, we do have our first shot and first scene of Keely and Rebecca together, and that becomes such a huge friendship moving forward as well. And you get to see them talk about uh, the yacht photos, and <laughs> that was so funny to go back and check out. Like it was just like it's such a well executed scene on the couch, and just like immediately you see Keely's comfort level with Rebecca, and you see that Rebecca is kind of like what are you doing here? Like, you know, like she's not as comfortable about the situation and that's going to really pay off in our episode, uh, make Rebecca great again, which will come up. I think that's episode seven of season one, but you get just such a great interaction here between Keely and Rebecca. And then we do move back to the school and we see that they're not at all excited to hear from Ted, but they go berserk when Roy starts talking and especially when he tells him to go out to the pitch. And then we get one of the best character introductions of anyone in the show. We get to meet Phoebe. Phoebe. We get to meet Phoebe in this episode. And uh, Phoebe is someone actually I've heard uh, in interviews. I think that this was the Brett Goldstein interview that he did with Brene Brown. He said that they were not anticipating Phoebe to be much of a character in this show, but just they they met that actress that that little girl who's playing phoebe and she lit up the room she lit up the set and they were like nope oh, we're gonna write her more stuff because uh it's just immediately that connection between roy and phoebe is something that we talked about a lot in that whole father 
um, and child relationship that we get all throughout season two, kind of like Roy and being the de facto father for Ke- for Phoebe, not for Keely, that would be weird, weird. for Phoebe uh, <laughs> as we move through season two. So we get a bunch of that stuff uh, when we get to see them at the school. Any thoughts on that, you two? I'll go to Brandon first. Well, and also I think part of the strength of that is Brett Goldstein is incredibly skilled at working with child actors. Mm-hmm. And because we see that in season two when he's, you know, coaching the different teams and things like <laughs> that. It, it's not easy working with child actors. Anyone who, you know, does any kind of acting knows that, but there is a really great ease about him and he's not intimidated working with them. And he, he, he does that so well. And, and this is another moment, like I said, we're starting to see the chinks and the, armor of uh, Roy Kent in in this episode. We see he has a heart of gold. We see that, you know, certain people, you know, his niece can melt his heart and make him actually smile at some point. And so that's that's a great, great moment. And and this whole episode really, I think, is about chinks in the armor because, you know, uh, we mentioned before Keeley, you know, really spots chinks in Rebecca's armor and starts to chip away. So so this is a lot of just uh, throwing away the facades that people put up. And I think that that's what part of this whole episode is. Yeah. That's... Speaking of facades that people put up, Jeremy, what do you have to say about this? <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Um, no, but I, I think that's right because what I love throughout these first couple until we get to the make Rebecca great again episode is there are these little moments that Hannah has where you see the real Rebecca and uh-huh. where, where you see her shine through a little bit. Like when Keely's walking out of the office and she makes one more comment about her wonderful boobs or whatever she says. <laughs> and you just see her laugh. Blow them like, away. Yeah. And, and you just see her give this little laugh of like, mm. I guess like embarrassed pride. <laughs> I don't know what you would call it, but like that's the real Rebecca right there. And I think it's these moments that have to keep happening over and over again that eventually get her to where we get to get her with. Um, And again, I do love the school that, again, Ted is too nice that even when the principal announces him as Ed Lasso, he doesn't correct him. He just goes with it. I just love that. Uh, Just think, we could have got Led Tasso right there in the beginning of season one. Um, So I'm going to go through the rest of the episode here because we get a a good scene with Trent and Ted, but we also get a a lot of different cutscenes. So at first, as they're leaving the school, Roy talks to Ted about saying, um, I'm done with these mind games. I'm done with these gifts. I don't like any of this. He's very uncomfortable about this. That is getting to the fact that Roy is not yet ready to be vulnerable, which we're going to talk about a lot in season two. Go back to our season two episodes and talk all about Roy Kent and his vulnerability that goes along with the growth in that character. But then we do get Ted and Trent going to the restaurant. It's actually Ollie from the car service, and he's going to make sure that Ollie looks good in front of his father-in-law. And so they order it just like they're part of the family, which is extremely spicy. Uh, And then I do like some of the information you get here from Trent and from Ted. So Trent's basically asking him, why does he leave Kansas? Doesn't he think that this is an irresponsible move? And then that's when Ted reiterates the fact that for him, uh, success is not about the wins and losses. 
It's about trying to get the fellows to believe in themselves. And yes, I know I broke my own rule. That is a quote, my apologies, but there's a lot of good quotes in this one, but it does set up the table for then the Trent Krim article that we get to read later. You get Higgins starting to read it to Rebecca and then actually fades into Trent's voice as he's reading it out. Uh, We also see Roy reading Wrinkle in Time with uh, Phoebe. By the way, when you look at that, it looks like he's like three quarters of the way through that book. Roy must be a speed reader uh, if he's reading that to Phoebe like that night and getting that way through that far through the book. Um, but then we also see that Roy then goes out afterwards because he's like, oh, my goodness, this book relates to me. He then goes and finds Jamie in the club and uh, confronts him there about not messing with Nate as well. And uh, that's all that she wrote in the, she wrote in this episode. So any thoughts as we start to close this episode out, J- Jeremy? Yeah, um, so so much happens here. Um, you're right. Like we always talk about it. Like for as much as Ted likes to use his um, humor and stuff to disarm people, he still is actually a very good coach. And I love that that is brought to the forefront here because Trent does just lay it all out on the table here. It's just like look, you know what? You're charming. You're, you know, I want to like you and everything, but this is irresponsible what you're doing. You know, this, like this team means something to people and we can't, it's not fair to turn it into a joke. And this is the first time where we really see Ted uh, embrace that philosophy of coaching um, that it's not like, like wins and losses. If that's all you're uh, concentrating on, you're going to be disappointed every time you have to get the people to believe in themselves and to like what they're doing and to believe in the team to make them better players. Um, You know, that along with like the giving of the books to the players, that's something that actually um, Phil Jackson, the legendary uh, NBA coach used to do all the time. And his philosophy, you know, his nickname was the Zen master because it wasn't so much about making sure that it was always on the team dynamic of on the court. Here's how you play this play. Here's how you do this. He was really about getting the team comfortable with each other. And that's why he was always known as this master of personalities. And that is what Ted is exhibiting here, that for him, the wins will flow when the players feel like they are the best versions of themselves. And so, again, just an amazing amount of coaching that goes into this. Um, and I just love that that is the quote that he uses there. I'll probably do the full thing later um, in Tedisms, but it, it's just a, a really great thing. And of course, I just love that, uh, you know, like he just punch or headbutts Colin out. And even though he's doing this tough guy routine, Roy is in the club, he still has to talk about how he doesn't see so well at night. It's like even when he's being <laughs> tough, he has to be vulnerable. It's pretty fantastic. Brandon, any thoughts as we start to close this episode out? For me, the, the it's the restaurant scene between Trent and Ted that really won me over to the show, I think, because there's it's there's Same. something really, really special about it. And I think a character like Trent Krem, um, he makes his living interviewing people, asking gotcha questions, mm-hmm. uh, trying to entrap people. And how long has it been since he's had somebody actually ask him questions and actually be interested in him? Like when Ted asks him, so what do you love? Is it writing? And and you see, and you see once again, the facade of Trent Krem starting to come down. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, to me, that is what this whole show is about. It's humans meeting other humans on a human level. And I know I use the word human quite a bit there, but uh, <laughs> it was, uh, but this is a very much a humanist show and uh, I think that uh, that really 
speaks to the heart of what what Ted Lasso is. It's being interested in what people contribute to the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, the fact that he is so interested in Trent, which, uh, you know, people are scared of Trent Krim because he can, you know, ruin you with a, you know, article in the paper. And to have someone actually be so interested in him as a person, you know, that's got to be something that he's not used to. And so I think that that's really one of the scenes that really won me over with the show. Yeah. And, and remember Brandon, how does this scene end? He literally tells me, he's just like, it's been really fun. Like spending this time with you. And you Trent really mean that. You no, really yeah. mean that. Don't you? I think that's the moment where Trent's like, that, this isn't an act. This is just how he is. And that's why I think the show has become such a tentpole for people because we live in such a cynical world that we're not used to people really meaning, yeah. uh, you know, how are you doing when someone asks you that? And so when it comes along where someone is really sincere and really earnest about it, it takes you back a little bit. Yeah. And speaking of human things, what's not human is that man's hair. It is so incredible. <laughs> I uh, want his hair. That's what I would love. Uh, oh my gosh. I would die for his hair. Are you kidding me? Like, it's just so, so great. It's so funny. Um, I, there was like memes going around and it was something like, <laughs> the dog. uh, when, when media represents your profession in an, uh, unattainable way and it all like showed Trent Cram as a journalist like yeah. all these journalists are like no one looks like this as a journalist <laughs> are you kidding me look at this guy he's so great so hopefully we get a lot of Trent Cram in season three but that's our episode that's folks that's everything that she wrote about episode three Trent Cram the independent uh and now you know, we have three of us front row network hosts here so why don't we bring in a fourth Larry Smith Come on out. Come on out and uh, and do Tedisms for us. Tedisms. For each week, we share biscuits of truth. Oh, thank you. The dulcet tones of Larry Smith. Brandon, you're our guest. You get to do Tedisms for us. Please start us off. What is your Tedism for this week? Well, the biggest laugh in the episode is I just talked to the owner of The Sun. You talked to God. <laughs> You talk to God. He like this is yells the way that line. It's so like, fantastic. Immediately too. It's not like there's and no, she does, doesn't skip yeah. a beat. And she doesn't either after he's done with that. She just goes right into the conversation. That's uh, that's a brilliant piece of dialogue. You like doesn't even skip a beat. You talk to God. Yeah. It's yeah. so great. <laughs> How about this one? Uh, going back way to the beginning of the episode. But uh, sorry, Nate. I, I have a real tricky time hearing people that don't believe in themselves. Do you think this idea will work? And then Nate says, yes. Whoa, Whoa no. Whoa. <laughs> You're screaming at us, Nate. Beard literally it. falls out of his chair. That. I love the commitment from Coach Beard there. I love everything about that. Oh, uh, speaking of Coach Beard, I, I don't know what your tedism is, Jeremy, but you, you, you might know, have a Coach Beard run in there. Contractually obligated to say all of them. <laughs> chess, team, chess team coach, Illinois State Champs, baby. Especially it's <laughs> Illinois, Illinois, right? Beard's our Brendan Hunt, Illinois, our Illinois boy. We <laughs> yeah, claim absolutely. him, people. He's coming from us. So everybody that's listening around the world, just know we gave you Brendan Hunt. You're welcome. 
<laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, I'm yeah. actually going to go with uh, Roy Kent here for the first one here. And it's because this is literally my laugh this out loud. This is your loud. second one, by the way, Jeremy. Yeah, but this is literally my laugh out loud moment of the episode when he's like walking away from Jamie in the weight room. <laughs> Isaac just asks me, he's just like, hey, Roy, you coming to the club tonight? And he just has such a chipper voice. He's just like, hang on, will you be there? He's like, you, you know it, bro. And he's like, then fuck no. <laughs> like, it is so it's like such a playfully like assholeish side of Roy Kent that we have not seen and it just caught me off guard every single time Brandon you got anything else uh, you know what you do with tough cookies don't you dip them in milk <laughs> I love that one. that's such a great line too I love it when he's uh, seeing uh, Rebecca for the first time in the episode and first of all, Hannah Waddingham in those amazing like blouses that she wears mm. that have no sleeves because she's got like these built arms. And she's uh, and he Ted says, "Boss, I'd hate to see you and Michelle Obama arm wrestle, but I couldn't take my eyes off it either." <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff, yep. Jerry. You got anything? Oh, I've got plenty. Um, again, I got to do one uh, from another one from Roy here. <laughs> it's like when me and Keely are arguing outside. And she asks him about his ex-girlfriend who uh, stole his Rolex. And again, he just doesn't even miss a beat. And he just says, so? I don't need a phone and a watch. <laughs> but, but that same scene, that same scene where uh, Keely, it, it like kind of alludes to their relationship moving forward. And Keely's like, I could push all your uh, buttons right now. And she goes, I'm Roy Kent and I'm mad because I play a game. Or no, she says, I'm sorry. She says, I'm Roy Kent, and I get paid to play a game, and I'm mad all the time. <laughs> and again, like he's just like, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good, actually. Oh, so good. No, there's uh, uh, anything else. Well, and Keeley is very talented at those new newspaper headlines. Jamie's tart breaks tart's heart. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Lasso makes Paso and causes team fiasco. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what line like goes after that which is great it's just like yeah i'm cute as a button and i can ride my ass off god it's no wonder they want to destroy me <laughs> but i i have to call out um and it's because it's like the one that you know got me the most and i'm gonna do the whole thing here for you guys because i pulled it up on here but it's when you know ted is giving trent his final uh, manifesto and he says i love coaching now i'm gonna say this again just so you don't think it was a mistake the first time i said it for me success is not about the wins and losses it's about helping these young fellows be the best versions of themselves on and off the field and it ain't always easy trent but neither is growing up without someone believing in you. And that is the line. That right there, that that last sentence, that is when I fell in love with this show. Like, all of a sudden, I was just like, man, that's it. Well done. Well done. And this was such a fun episode. It was so great to get you on, Brandon. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and also for really – I love front row classics. I know that I'm a front row host and that I helped uh, get this thing going, but truly when your shows come on Mm -hmm. immediately, I have to listen to them. In fact, uh, you dropped an episode today at time of recording. This was like a week ago because we recorded a week early for Thanksgiving. Uh, But you were, you dropped an episode with some guy who was a little salty about uh, the Fox uh, studios (laughs) and talking about, I mean, he was a little surly. Yeah. 
Oh, a little, well, yeah, a little bit. Uh, but he's a a renowned um, classic film biographer author named Scott Iman, um, who just wrote a book called uh, "20th Century Fox: Daryl F. Zanuck and the Creation of the Modern Film Studio." And mm. it's really a a, a great. Um, well, first of all, it's a great read, but it's just a great history of the history of 20th Century Fox and Daryl Zanuck, who was the founder. And uh, you can do a complete history of 20th Century Fox now because with the Disney acquisition. <laughs> Um, there really is, uh, you, you know, 20th ending. Century Fox, you, there is an ending. So, uh, yeah, uh, he, he gave his opinion on that. So uh, it's but but he was uh, very knowledgeable. Great to talk to. It's a great interview. That's right, because uh, Disney will buy everything, including Ted Lasso. So even though I am the beyond the mouse Disney guy for the network, yeah. I'm also going to be the Disney guy someday at Peanut Butter and Biscuits. Because you know that Warner Brothers at some point will be bought out by uh, Disney. I mean, so, all, all you Disney... listeners out there, eventually Disney will buy you as well. Like every, yeah, Disney's absolutely. going to buy everything. Uh, individually, individually. Uh, Jeremy, any final thoughts going into this? You know, people are listening to this uh, in the United States around Thanksgiving. Um, and any message that you have for them? I just say this. Uh, give thanks for Ted Lasso, everyone. Give thanks for your families. Give thanks for health and happiness. Um, and in the last Tedism of this episode, because Brandon Davis is on here for the first time, you listener and you, Brandon, congrats. You both just met a cool person. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It was such a great uh, episode. It's been such a great ride. I have to tell you, thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. Go and check out Brandon's show. It's excellent. Go and check that out as well. Um, thank you. And we'll be back next week for season one, episode four of our rewind. Mm. You knew I had to get it in yep. there at least once <laughs> this episode. But for peanut butter and biscuits i am craig i'm jeremy and i'm brandon and you go be a goldfish thank you for listening to this episode of the front row network a proud community voices member of national public radio illinois for more from the front row network including our articles or our other dozens of shows visit the frontrownetwork.com or nprillinois.org slash programs slash front row network you can also find us on social media by searching for the front row network on facebook youtube and instagram and on twitter at front row reviews with a z